Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Bator of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Click, click, click. And I'm Ashlyn's heater. (laughs) And I will be joining you for this recording. (laughs) Welcome, heater. I'm glad you're keeping my sister warm. Yeah, I'm a new house, but I'm very old, so I creak. (laughs) Okay, I think the bit's going too long. The bit's too long. But uh, my house is creaking, and if so, if you hear some weird noises, don't worry. It's all good. Yeah, nothing's exploding or anything. No, it just is creaky. Um, yeah, well, Ashlyn, I can't even use my uh, kitchen sink today because they're they're doing piping things, and they also have not given us hot water some days this week. So <gasps> it's the winter. Correct. Oh my God! Living in <laughs> Chicago without heat, are you in the 1800s? No, we have heat. We just don't have hot water. Oh, that's the same thing, Rihanna. <laughs> 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 wow. Well. That's sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Just wanted to relate to your pain, I guess. Yeah, we can both be suffering in our own Mm -hmm. ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why we're here to make this podcast, is to suffer. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. Exactly. So (laughs) we are here to talk about generations. And is this called Star Trek? generations or is it just generations what's the deal you know, with I'm this title look. yeah star trek colon generations oh see the colon is important because you'll some see. of them don't have them <laughs> <laughs> and then, then what do we do <laughs> um yeah star trek colon generations this is our seventh movie series episode yeah and see this is when it really starts to be fun because like we've mentioned before in other series, literally all of our other series, this is usually the penultimate episode, yeah. our second to last one of the series. But oh boy, we're only halfway through, guys. <laughs> well, and you know what's amazing is now, from now on, most of our episodes will have nine because of Prodigy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just yeah. think that's amazing. <laughs> That we have new Star Trek shows that we have to literally add an episode to our podcast. Yeah, it excites me every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I also want to thank the listeners for giving us the grace to have a week off. We hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. We certainly did. We were not together for it, but we both had lovely ones nonetheless. And mm-hmm. our one of our family traditions is to watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is a hilarious and chaotic 80s movie. Yeah. So we both had fun doing that independently this year. Yeah, and I had the pleasure of getting to see it at theaters, which was really fun because, you know, it takes place. Like, he's trying to get back home to Chicago, and so they show it here in theaters, and I was just over the moon. My girlfriend, not so much. She does <laughs> not love this movie, but she still went with me, which is just next level amazing (laughs) see it's a sign of a good girlfriend that she will still go see movies that she doesn't really like if for the sake of your family tradition like wow brianna got some points right there yeah truly amazing (laughs) and you know what she also sat through this movie with us 
oh my gosh, she's much better than my husband. He was nowhere near this movie. (laughs) (laughs) He asked me, he was like, um, which one is this one about? And I was like, well, this one has Picard and Kirk. And he was like, what? And then just left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when uh, when Brianna saw that Kirk was was there, she was like, he's still here. I'm like, I know. (laughs) I understand. So I think that we are having in our SOs are having opposite experience as to what the rest of the world had when this movie came out because yeah. uh, we were lucky enough a couple weeks ago to be on Trek Untold's podcast mm-hmm. and uh, we were co we co guest stars with Trek Core nope not Trek Core with um, Strange New Pod Strange New Pod and Text Trek thank you Rihanna for helping me <laughs> with the names yeah uh and we talked actually a lot about Generations because we happened to be watching it and recording that episode on the 25th anniversary of the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So we just passed that by. And a lot of them talked about how, because they're a little bit older than us, that this movie was really exciting because we had, it was finally the marriage of two incredible Trek shows, essentially. It was the original series cast and Kirk specifically getting to interact with everyone on the next generation or, you know, it, that's not what actually happens, but that's what's being billed is we have some kind of crossover event that I think is maybe the first type of like end game, you know, like <laughs> the, it, the, it was the most ambitious crossover event in history in its time. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm glad you bring this up, Ashlyn, because this is pretty novel for Star Trek because obviously we don't have a ton of Star Trek at this point in time. We have Next Generation and Original Series and of course the animated series and the movies. So it seems like a lot of Trek, but for today, that's like nothing. That's chump change. <laughs> <Rihanna> just <laughs> chuckles. For today. Yeah, like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> So blessed with all this Trek. <laughs> but um, no, so I think like this is really important because we have had episodes where TNG does bring back certain characters like Unification, like Relics, and of course Encounter at Farpoint, which is where DeForest Kelly guest stars. And don't forget, um, Colonel Worf was in <laughs> <laughs> was in Undiscovered Country. So yeah. exciting. And so we are having a bit of a marriage of characters, like guest starring and some crossover in that circumstance but this is next level this is having two very famous captains where sort of the battle of the kirk versus picard begins in like nerd circles i feel like this is probably where it really started was because of generations oh yeah and i even had a friend in high school when i first started watching star trek i obviously was very blatantly a huge nerd because i had come to school with like Kirk on my shirt and <laughs> yeah I had a, a friend and her and I used to go back and forth and kind of tease each other about Kirk is better than Picard Picard is better than Kirk at that point I had only seen the original series so I was like um Kirk is way better than Picard and she was like you're literally crazy Ashlyn like you need to watch and next gen you need to watch next gen and you'll agree with me and now <laughs> I think I do agree with her yeah, but they're both just so different, and I do think that they bring different things to the table. And Absolutely. I would want a different captain in different situations. If it's going to be a, a fight on the planet, I am not bringing Picard. <laughs> oh hell no! If it's going to be a diplomatic mission, I'm not bringing. Well, I could bring Kirk, but 
there's probably a fisticuffs I mean, that like, will occur. Not if you want it to go well. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could still get an epic speech and maybe like a couple chops from Kirk, but like it depends need... on if Spock is with Kirk. I think uh, yeah. that's the crux right here. <laughs> and unfortunately, in this movie, Spock is nowhere to be found. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy said no, but I know that. Uh, they were trying to get, because in this opening scene, we have um, Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov. And it was supposed to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And uh-huh. if you if you listen to Scotty and Chekhov's lines, and I did talk about this in one of our series. I believe it was Family? I don't know. Where I, I kind of like breezed through. And yeah, watched. we talked about Demora. Yeah. In our Family series. Yeah, I kind of watched like some scenes from Generations for that review, um, for that podcast, for that episode. But... I did mention it there. These lines are not for Chekhov and Sulu or for Chekhov and Scotty. They are for <laughs> Spock and McCoy. And you can tell, like, it, Spock is, or Scotty is basically saying, like, that's not logical, sir. He doesn't say <laughs> it, but the way his lines are written are clearly for Spock. Yeah, and, and definitely Chekhov, at one point he's like, you all just became doctors, or you became nurses. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it is weird. And talk about laziness when they realized they couldn't get... DeForest Kelly and Nimoy they just didn't even change the lines (laughs) like it's not even a very long scene it's not that hard to write for very generic uh and of course I love Chekhov and Scotty with all of my heart so I don't mean they're generic but I mean their lines could be generic and they would still sound like Chekhov and Scotty (laughs) yeah so I also wonder so I know that primarily they weren't being offered enough money to uh Kelly Mm. and Nimoy weren't and so I, it kind of makes sense why they just said no thanks. And I also believe that Shatner kind of wanted a solo movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he hadn't really had his time in the limelight, which I don't Hilarious. agree with. Yeah. But I think he he wanted to be with such a prestigious actor like Patrick Stewart and kind of go head to head and say we can both share the space I can't wait to talk about these scenes at the end because, oh boy. Yeah. 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 Ashlyn, I'm really glad you brought that up because, like, we do see, and we have talked about this in the rest of our series here, that Spock and Nimoy, you know, as sort of the marriage of their character and the actor, do really steal the show most of the time. Like, we talk about how most of these movies end up do revolving around Spock, even if it's not the intent in the beginning. I mean, even the one that Shatner wrote or directed, I mean, the one that Shatner directed is still really Spock-centric. Yeah. And so I just think that, like, it does track that uh, Shatner would be the person to want a solo film with Picard or with, uh, with Patrick Stewart. I mean, I don't blame him. Sir Patrick Stewart is, like, that would anyone would want the opportunity to act with him if you were an actor I feel like I wouldn't pass it up even though I'm not an actor I'd still be like yeah I'll I'll join the writer's room where I can like sit vaguely near Patrick Stewart you know oh absolutely and I think also their whole reason that they wanted to have this combo exist at all is because the next generation had been off air actually for a couple years and Deep Space Nine was in its second season what? Uh, I did yeah, not know that. Because this movie came out in 1994, and Deep Space Nine started in 1993. So Michael Dorn still wasn't a part of Deep Space Nine, and so that's why he was still doing the movies? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. And so they thought, to fill the void, let's do what 
the original series did and let's make some movies after the run of the show next generation ended in 93 so Mm. that makes sense they're just bringing out a movie the whole like the next year super fast so there wasn't too big of a gap without having our cast on screen they wanted to follow in the footsteps of the original series by having movies and they thought that an easy and maybe comforting way to slide into this transition was to have some of the original series actors in it and you can kind of understand their reasoning it's kind of Mm -hmm. like holding your hand it's exactly what they did in encounter at farpoint and having deforest kelly guest star Mm -hmm. on that one and it's what they do even in the pilot of ds9 patrick stewart guest stars in that episode same with voyager (laughs) oh my god okay (laughs) this is just what they love to do they're like well and they know and it's true to this day that star trek fans can sometimes be a little possessive of their shows and of their content and they are really hesitant sometimes to get into something new and we've been seeing this over and over again with discovery and prodigy i think lower decks is pretty much universally loved but (laughs) um there's a lot of hesitancy to watch new trek because people are worried it's going to be ruined and so go ahead i'm sorry but this is what always cracks me up about people who are sort of anti new trek or just very against it it's like don't you remember when you were doing that transition from Deep Space Nine to Voyager? And like, particularly for me, it was very, very hard. When we were coming off of Deep Space Nine, I was like, I'm for sure that this is my favorite series. Like, no Star Trek can top Deep Space Nine. And so I think that's why I was so uber resistant to Voyager until I got to know Kate Mulgrew as an actor. And I got to just see Janeway in general and Tuvok and like the cast of characters started to grow on me. But it probably took me like a full season to really start to enjoy Voyager because I was still hung up on Deep Space Nine. And so it's just funny when like Trek bros and people who don't like new Trek are saying all of these things about how like, oh man, it's so different. And like, uh, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, everyone has dealt with the transition (laughs) from like, it's like when you finish a good book and you just stare into the void, you're like, no book will ever be as good. (laughs) Like, and obviously they are in different ways. And like each show is very successful in its own way. And I love them all in different ways. And so it's like, it just sometimes takes a little bit of time to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And the, of course, gaping difference between the examples we've talked about in the series and then with these movies is that TNG was already a beloved show. Yeah. And it had a very solid fan base. It had created new Star Trek fans. And so I think they just thought, okay, why not have these two i wish it was two casts get to be together but why not have these two historic actors get to be together and like we talked about on trek untold it really was hyping everybody up i think to see like the posters of shatner and patrick stewart together is crazy and i mean honestly i would probably be losing my mind too even Mm -hmm. if no matter what the movie was and how it came out to be To see them, even the thought of them being together makes me, like, nerdgasm, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, putting myself into that position in 1994. Well, and Ashlyn, we can kind of pseudo put ourselves in that position when we think about the first time that we watched this movie. What were your thoughts, and do you remember the first time we saw Generations? So, it's very vague. This is another one that I don't rewatch, similar to Undiscovered Country. I just don't rewatch it that much. But after Rihanna and I had finished Next Generation, because we had watched 
all of the original series movies in Georgia, as we talked about forever. I think we had already seen TNG at that point too. So then we started with the movies, the Next Generation movies. I believe it was like, oh man, I want to say like 2012 or something. And I think we were watching this it's I, I'm tr- really trying to remember where we saw it. I feel like it was probably in our dad's basement, I'm guessing, like on a laptop that we had pirated. See, I feel like it was at mom's. I mean, again, it, but could, either go, way. it could go either way. We <laughs> yeah. watched so much, like so many hours of Star Trek in our basements of our two houses because our parents were divorced. So we would yeah. go back and forth week by week. I do not remember which house we were at, honestly. But I remember mostly... Of course, the bridge scene at the end, I'm just going to spoil it for you now. Kirk goes out because a bridge collapses on him and he like falls and the bridge kills him. And so I remember feeling very disappointed about how his death was. And I think that really colored my memory of the movie is that I thought that the data stuff was kind of funny. The life form song was oh. easily the highlight of the entire movie. Oh, yeah. And we were like, like Rian and I were like dancing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Are you? <laughs> um, that song is a bop. Yeah. And to this day. Yeah, to this day. So the life form song and I just being deeply disappointed with the way that Shatner went out is my memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Rihanna? So I'm pretty sure we were in mom's basement. <laughs> we were just chilling. I feel like I have similar memories. I remember being just sort of bewildered the whole time. What kind of film is this supposed to be? I could never pin it, pin it down. And I think I was really, like, I wanted to be more into the character stuff, but we got so much Soren that I just remembered a lot of him. And I remembered a lot of how annoying he was. And just like, wow, this villain is just, like, here. And he was like, eh. You know, like, get me back to the Nexus. Why did you make him sound like Waluigi? <laughs> <laughs> That's the vibe. He's kind of Waluigi-esque. He's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that colored a lot of my experience of Generations was just how I wanted more character moments with our actual characters instead of with this random villain wanting to get to a random part of space. And then, weirdly, I don't really remember Kirk's death that much. I mostly remember him chopping wood. <laughs> Most bizarre scene, but that's like the scene where Picard meets him and he's like, you're Jim Kirk. You've been dead for years or whatever. And like, I, I don't know. I just remember chopping wood and being like, hey, like I've only been here a day or whatever. (laughs) So not, not a good experience really watching this movie. I remember being just like disappointed, like you said, and just underwhelmed for sure. Yeah. Huh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I'm excited to talk about this movie, though. This is making me excited about our most recent rewatch and discussing it. Yeah. But before we get to that, I do just want to shout out full 20 minutes into the pod. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to shout out a fan who has recently followed us on Twitter and has started like liking a ton of our stuff. And actually, they are a podcast called the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. And we've been kind of talking about doing a collaboration in the future. So I'm very excited about that. 
but mm-hmm. when they first messaged us, they said, we really dig your retitling of each Trek film cover. You guys do a really good job detailing the bad guys and supporting the recurring characters too. So thank you for that. We appreciate those yeah. specific comments. Really make us happy. I'm glad we do all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so nice to hear something that like particular that people really like because it makes me feel like, okay, we're doing this right. You know, we're doing something that's really important and people are picking up on it and I just am really happy so thank you so much for that comment and we're very excited to do some stuff with you in the future yeah absolutely and I also just want to do another shout out to Rihanna because she has been seized by the ghost of Crusher's past and (laughs) the episode where she's like hanging out with the ghost. Um, (laughs) That grandma is inside Rihanna. Oh, you're not Nana. (laughs) (laughs) Rihanna has been working like a maniac on our Dura Sisters podcast shop, which is coming soon. And she's been making these fire memes. So, like, you should definitely follow us on social media because, seriously, we've gained, like, 20 new followers on Twitter in the last, like, couple days just because Rihanna is hilarious. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. I'm really, really excited for you all to see our store. I've been putting it up on Threadless. We're getting everything ready for launch. So I think by the time that this episode comes out, we will have a new shop we will have a shop that you guys can come and get dora sisters merch so it's like really good merch too like yeah it's juicy a great uh, variety of stuff so oh man yeah very excited and it will be pretty much constantly expanding because i want to keep up to date with the series and episodes we do and what products we release because of it so Yeah, I just want you all to get excited because I'm very excited. It really was. I felt like I was, like, possessed by some alien. (laughs) And then I just, like, kind of lost my mind for three days and don't really remember what I did except do work on the store. Like, Rihanna, we generally talk at least once a day, sometimes accidentally, like, three times. Mm -hmm. And... I think we were on our second call of the day in the evening and I was like, oh, maybe Rihanna and I can like drink together and like hang out and talk. <laughs> and she was so focused. She was she was just possessed. I was like, I yeah. have to leave her. I'm going to like interrupt her train of thought. And then, oh my God, like I, I have to leave her to do her thing, maestro. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, of course I wanted to hang out with Ashlyn, but I kept getting these like sparks of ideas and I was like, hang on, I have to like write this down really quick. <laughs> so Yeah, the the ghost had you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, get excited for that, everyone. Yes, we will definitely be posting that when it's up, so keep an eye on our social media accounts. Mm-hmm. Rihanna. I think let's start this movie, even though we've already kind of started it. Yeah, Um, let's do it. I have a couple other fun facts, because you know I love fun facts. I love your fun facts. They are very fun. So I want to talk about Malcolm McDowell. You know, Rihanna, you just said how he kind of overwhelmed your experience in Generations. Interestingly enough, he did a couple of stage shows with Mm. Patrick Stewart decades earlier. And so Patrick Stewart remembered working with him and enjoyed it. And recommended him, and he won the audition. Wow. What a crazy recommendation. Imagine you just get recommended by Patrick Stewart. Yeah, and I think what really appealed to McDowell also is that he read the script and saw that his character got to kill Kirk, 
which he uh. was really excited about because he wanted to go down in history as the man who killed Captain Kirk. You know, fair. I mean, if you're going to be a villain, that's pretty epic. I feel like the legacy doesn't really fit, though, because that bridge no. killed him. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have lots to say about that, but oh, wait. <laughs> and he yeah. also did not want to be an alien that had a lot of makeup because he didn't want to sit in the makeup chair for that long. So, <laughs> you know, uh, interesting tidbit, because I was listening to an episode of Trek Untold where they had the person who plays Linus on Discovery, and he talked a lot about prosthetics and how it truly is like just not for some people like it can be a very claustrophobic experience it can be just overwhelming I mean you'll hear about how Worf was in the chair for like seven hours every morning before shooting like that's absolutely crazy like oh oh my god God. a Saru (laughs) literally yeah so like there's definitely sort of a temperament I feel like people need in order to be an actor who has to wear a lot of prosthetics and actually apparently David Benjamin Tomlinson is the guy who plays Linus and apparently he got a lot of advice from Doug Jones on just like how to be an alien (laughs) you know because that's literally what Doug Jones always does he's like constantly in prosthetics so anyway I just think that's interesting and understandable that you wouldn't want to sit in a makeup chair for you know five plus hours no i don't know if i would either that's a long oh hell no that's like seven (laughs) years of every day for the season yeah it's crazy and even for this movie that would have been a long time so you might have also been wondering why the whole original series cast isn't in this movie and yeah, I'm wondering that. <laughs> so I talked about how DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy weren't in it because of money. Leonard Nimoy also thought that his character was extraneous and that this was kind of a weird script and yeah. not, not a good script. Fair. So he didn't want to be involved in it. And apparently the whole cast was planned to be in the movie. What? And the first day that they showed up and Patrick Stewart was the number one advocate for them to be into it and he's quoted as saying i just didn't want us to sail into the future as just the next generation cast so i think that's really amazing and sweet of him that's so special yeah special and so apparently the cast of the next generation walk on set for the first day of filming and they thought the whole cast was going to be there and so whoopi goldberg immediately asked to see nichelle nichols And was furious when she realized that she was not on set and she was not going to be in the film. And she talked to Walter Kendig and she said, the fans have been waiting for years to see Nichelle and me and Ahura and Guinan on screen together. Thank you. Yeah. So I just, how sad would that be to get on set and you think like, oh my God, I'm meeting my hero. And like, they're not even casted or involved. Oh. You know, that who, makes me so mad. You know who we can blame for this? Rick Berman. Exactly. Oh, sorry. I just punched like the air because I just hate. I was actually just looking at the writers here for this story, which has Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, and Brandon Braga. So, uh, I mean, Brandon Braga and Rick Berman have been writing for Star Trek for a while. Yeah. <sighs> But I'm just, I I remember, like, because literally our mom is actually completely caught up with Star Trek now since the last time we had a podcast, which is amazing. She's absolutely insane with her binge watching. I think she finished all of Next Generation in, like, a month or so. (laughs) But anyway, we were all watching this together, and we saw Rick Bourbon's name come on the screen, and all of us went, ugh. 
Even my girlfriend. <laughs> even my girlfriend, who's barely seen... I mean, she's seen enough Star Trek. She's seen enough Voyager to know how much I hate him and how much we all hate him. So I'm just sad that he was a part of this. And it also makes sense why he was... You know, why this movie turned out the way it did. <laughs> well, and what's so interesting about this, too, is that the director is David Carson, who you might not know just from hearing his name, but he actually was hired to direct some episodes from The Next Generation. Um, oh, cool. He had never heard of Star Trek before, and so on his flight out, he watched like a ton of episodes, <laughs> and he was hired to direct The Enemy in TNG. That's in uh, season three. And mm-hmm. then he also directed um, Yesterday's Enterprise, which of course is wow, like a great, great one. one. Um, mm-hmm. The Next Phase redemption part two and then he also uh, directed the pilot of ds9 the emissary what yeah and even okay this is funny though he did some other d space nine episodes uh called dax and move along home (laughs) i knew you were gonna say move along home okay so he's like a renowned legend (laughs) but like but like yesterday's enterprise is really good and redemption part two and the emissary is an excellent pilot that's amazing okay but then he also did move along home (laughs) and this movie you know dax is a good episode though i'll give him that and also and this is kind of you know getting us prepared already for first contact but his directing work on generations inspired jonathan frakes to try to direct the next movie, he was so he Thank was so the ins- Lord. <laughs> he was so inspired by what a great job this guy did. He was like, "I'm gonna take his job." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, I don't, but I mean, I think that's amazing and very Frank's. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, "I just want to direct." <laughs> yeah. So okay, that's, that's all cool. the fun facts I have. Um, Rihanna, what did you think about starting this movie off, kind of like just a couple years after Undiscovered Country? Yeah, so once again, I'm getting similar feelings from the motion picture. I mean, it's different now because Kirk is less resistant to retirement, but you can still tell it's there. You can still tell, like, now he's sort of doing the classic, I'm retired, but I'll come on to be sort of your, like, centerpiece in this launch of the ship, you know? And so he's got cameras stuck in his face, you know, they're all, like, christening the launch of enterprise and it's just this whole thing where like i understand why they want him there starfleet does as this sort of if they followed canon which obviously the canon didn't exist for enterprise the tv show but like really it should have been archer there (laughs) and kirk but that's okay because obviously times don't work that way yeah i mean i i get it it's ceremony why he was there and i think that kirk was frankly doing it sort of out of obligation. Like, I don't, I think, I don't know. I didn't get a sense that he was super into this, obviously. I mean, there's cameras in his face. He's like, but it is amazing because they get to meet Demora Sulu. And this is truly the highlight of this opening is the fact that we get a next generation of family as well, you know, and of an extending, even if we can't have George Takei here, we can have a relative of Sulu's daughter. And so I think that was a really cool addition. And something that sort of saved the scene for me was getting to see Chekhov get so excited to see Demora and Scotty and everyone just sort of like, amazing, you know, like, whoa, how old are you now? Like, and she's a 
she's an ensign. It's been 12 years, apparently, since anyone last saw her. Um, like, <laughs> I'm like, please. wow, this crew does not keep up with each other. <laughs> no, they do not, which does make me a little sad. I do kind of wish that they had at least done some sort of, oh, Ahura's like on Ryza having a great time. Or like, Sulu is still captaining the Excelsior. <laughs> like, or, or said like, oh, Admiral Sulu's on leave for his anniversary i I don't know yeah like it would have been nice to get some sort of background on the rest of them even if they weren't there luckily spock's gonna be back for these next movies we're gonna get to see a lot more of spock but like this is pretty much it for mccoy and and for a lot of our cast our original series cast and so it just feels like a lame way to sort of just shove them out of the series, even especially because they were intending to have everybody there and to shove them out of this movie. And so it does just like keep reminding me that this is a Shatner movie and this is a Kirk Picard movie, which is totally like fine because I know that's what they ended up with, but I feel like their intentions would have been way more amazing if they could have gotten at least, at least if they can't even get the actors, at least mention their characters about where they are. I don't usually like where are they now segments, but like for this, I would have really appreciated at least some sort of hint about what our other characters are up to. Yeah, like where's Spock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Uhura, like I think it's really important. I actually saw Sinequa uh, Martin Green on like a Today Show thing, and Whoopi Goldberg was there, and she got to say just like, Whoopi, it's amazing to see you again. Like, you are truly one of my inspirations. And one of the reasons that I love being in Trek so much is because, like, you paved the way for black women and everything. And I'm thinking the same thing about Uhura and about Nichelle Nichols. And what you said about Whoopi Goldberg missing out on Nichelle Nichols is just devastating to me because, like, these black women are, like, so powerful and so important. And just, like, how they're continuously being left out of the narrative is just infuriating to me. Particularly because Ahura continues to get shafted in these movies and get only, like, sexualized roles. Or just, she does get to do some cool stuff, you know, like we've talked about in our other episodes of this series. But it just seems like a sad way to say goodbye to these original series characters. And I honestly would have rather just either had not <laughs> a movie crossover with them leave it at undiscovered country that which was really a pretty beautiful ending for all of them rather than have this sort of midway bizarre point you know what i mean i agree and i am further here we go i'm gonna say this a lot again in this podcast Mm -hmm. i am further alienated by this scene because I feel like I'm not understanding what the message is that they're trying to send. So, Rian, I totally, everything that you said, I agree with. Mm-hmm. And I want to expand that Kirk seems like he's just there for the show. He's a figure. He's not a person. Mm-hmm. And he's there for the photo op. And why did they let all of these journalists and photographers, like news media outlets on the ship? It drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and so... I am kind of getting the sense that the movie is trying to tell me that since Kirk and company left Starfleet or like have retired, things are kind of going down the drain. And Mm. the captain of the ship talks about how they don't even have shields. You know, the shields will be installed next Tuesday. And this is purely for show, this launch. And so I feel like maybe there's some like opportunity for Kirk and Scotty to say oh well back in my day we did things right but I'm confused why they're sending this message that the future is worse 
when this is a movie that involves the next generation. Literally. <laughs> where yeah. it, the future is supposedly like better. Yes. So Ashlyn, I, so true. I was confused about this intro and it made me think more about like, oh, have we regressed, you know, that we have the news? I, I don't know. Media it just, circus? It yeah. just seemed weird to have the media circus on the ship. And yeah, so that part was weird for me. I did love the character moments that we do have, even if they're like very strange. Yeah. I thought that the part of the scene that was really important for me was when there is, you know, the Nexus comes by, which they don't even know what it is. They're reading it as a strange burst mm-hmm. of energy um, that's coming towards the ship and it's destroying everything. And Kirk, always the hero, is basically volunteering to go down and save this part of the ship because he says a captain should be on the bridge. And so he goes down. And I love, I do love I that. I love that. I love that scene because, of course, he would. And even though it's his, it's Enterprise B, it's not his Enterprise anymore. But who cares? He's Captain Kirk. <laughs> well, and I think this is such an important character moment for him because we've seen him so resistant to leaving the captain's chair in all of these movies. Like, this has been such a thematic arc for Kirk is the fact that he is glad to be demoted to captain and he's happy to steal the Enterprise <laughs> whenever needed or to keep it even though he's supposed to take it back to Starfleet. All of these things. And the fact that he does let the captain do his job is so essential and such an important moment for him. And I do think it does lead the way to his sort of disappearance slash death into the Nexus because it is showing that he's ready for that. It's almost like he's pulling the plug on his own like captaincy career lifetime i don't know if that makes sense but he's still gonna be this very glorious gonna go out in a blaze of glory kind of person anyway so i think that he's like well if i die i die at this point you know like i'd rather go down saving the ship i don't know he's just grown so much than trying to like fight for the captain's chair anymore i agree he's not fighting for the captain's chair but i don't think he suddenly is happy being retired I think that this opportunity to go and risk his neck is fulfilling this need that he's always going to have to sacrifice himself and to be the hero and to save everybody because his actions do save the entire ship. And so this Mm -hmm. is a much better death for him than than a bridge. And I also thought it was so meaningful when... Oh, it almost was, like, as sad as... I mean, like, half as sad as Spock in Wrath of Khan dying. But the, mm-hmm. to see Chekhov and Scotty's faces, like, when they're, like, bring Chekhov down here, and they understand that Kirk was in the section that got ripped out. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, that is that is really... It's devastating. It's really sad. And I yeah. think we couldn't have appreciated that moment if we hadn't had those two on the ship like if it had just been enterprise b characters and demora you know whatever so i'm glad they at least had Chekhov and sulu but again how much better would this have been with the whole cast so much better and i would have like wept tears (laughs) oh for sure yeah i feel like though i am glad even though they couldn't get kelly they were able to get duhan because i know that he probably passed away pretty soon after i don't know yeah how long i after. think so yeah but so that is really special to me to think that like at least scotty was there you know as because scotty i think is always a bit of an underrated character and so i am glad that they got scotty and check off back because they are sort of not the ones that people talk about a lot but at least they had someone you know and i agree like it would have just been like 
okay, Demora Sulu is grieving, I guess. <laughs> like, and the thing is, too, is like, like you said, he saved all these lives, and he also saved the lives of the transport ship, the Laru transport ship, that was holding some very important people. <laughs> yeah, just casually, the, like, most coincidental moment of all time, um, <laughs> Guinan and Soren are on this ship together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we find out that this whole crew was filled with Elorans, uh, Elorans. I can't, I'm sorry, I'm bad at pronouncing their species name, but this is actually the first time in all of the next generation where we get to know what species Guinan is for real, which is absolutely crazy to me. I think that, like, Guinan is such an incredible character, and she seldom gets the writing that she deserves, you know? I totally agree. What a disservice to her character. We don't even know like what species she is. Yeah. And I know that they've, throughout Next Generation, they've been kind of toying with her background and not revealing too much about it, keeping her really mysterious. So it's cool that we're finally learning some more about her history, but I wish this was more of a Guinan movie. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is an Oscar winning actress and now she's finally on the silver screen where she belongs. Mm-hmm. So I would have loved a big Guinan movie. <laughs> yeah, I have been listening to Woman at Warp like crazy because I just love their podcast. And they did an episode where they revisited Guinan and it's just so special. And like, please go listen to it because it really fueled my love for Guinan and sort of my ire at the fact that she does not get more time too. And I feel like that is just not all of who she could be. And I am glad that we get more of her character here, but even then, it's still very vague. And this is why I've just got like all of my fingers crossed that Picard season two will actually give us some real Guinan moments. Like for the love of God, <laughs> this is what we need. So anyway, I'm just like, please, 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 please. My heart started beating like a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh God, I can't yeah. deal with the thought of more Guinan. Oof. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is Part of my problem with this movie and her character is that she is an exposition fountain. All of the interactions we have with her are her spouting knowledge Mm -hmm. about the plot. She's just trying to like, oh, yeah, Soren was someone that I knew back, blah, blah, blah. Back 300 years ago. And then again, when he's in the Nexus, she's like, oh, this is the Nexus. This is a copy of me when I was in here. It's like when you're playing a video game and you have a (laughs) video game guide who's going to help you with the game. You know, that's just Guinan. And there's no substance to her character in this movie. She's just there because everyone loves Guinan, which is a good reason, but I would sure. like more than yeah. knowing than more than just her Nexus background. I could read that on right. a resume, you know? Yeah, and like that's sort of what the hosts at Women at Warp were saying is that she is this like canary in a coal mine. You know, she's just the one who can sense danger and who can like steer you in the right direction. And like obviously that's useful. And, like, she is this, like, wealth of knowledge. She's incredibly perceptive, and she understands people in a way that, like, I don't think anyone else does, because she's also lived all of these centuries. It's cool that she gets to be this very, like, sage-wise person, but I just also want to know, like, what are her hopes and dreams and her fears, and what's her favorite thing to do on her free time, you know? And so we do get a little bit of that when we hear about her time in the Nexus, and how, like, she completely understands why Soren wants to get back to it. Because it is sort of this just, like, pure 
bliss, you know, and you get lost in it essentially because you don't want to, you don't want to go back. You just want to be in it forever. It's kind of like an addictive holodeck is how I thought of it. Yeah, where time doesn't exist. Yeah. So all the survivors are all beamed onto Enterprise B. So that's how mm -hmm. Guinan sees Soren. And he is introduced as Dr. Toleman Soren. Mm -hmm. And that's it, I believe. Just like vague. He's some kind of doctor. Yeah. And again, we're 75 years apart from this past and future. Or present and past, depending on... <laughs> <laughs> or, or two futures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... I just want to note that Soren does not change appearance at all. So he, they're both the same Alorans, right? Yeah. I think you, what is what you said earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So similar to Whoopi, how she never ages, Soren is the same thing. Now, I had a thought, something that really distinguishes the original series movies is their uniforms because mm. they're not the primary yellow colors, yellow, blue, red that we all love. They are white in the motion picture. And then for the rest of the time, they are this really nice red. With, they have some bibs going on. Yeah. But in these Next Generation movies, they keep the same uniforms throughout the movies. And True. I was wondering what you thought about that, because personally, I thought that it might have been nice for them to change the uniforms to distinguish them from the movies in the series. But also, I know that these are just like the standard uniforms that we're going to use in, I mean, the rest of like all the other Star Trek series are using these uniforms. So maybe they just needed to keep them the same for the sake of continuity. But I kind of like whenever yeah. they change the uniforms as also before you answer, Rihanna, we've been watching season four of Discovery. And when uh -huh. the first episode aired, I like screamed and my husband looked at me and he's like, what is going on? And I was like, they got new uniforms. Like, I was, And they look so good. Oh, they look fire. And I mean... Anytime I see new Trek content, I like pass out with joy. So he was yeah. filming me because I was like freaking out. <laughs> oh, okay, Ashlyn, would you be willing to post that um, video on yeah, the Patreon? I'll find it. I'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, the, can I blackmail you into posting? Yeah, this? you can do that. Um, but anyway, so what do you think about the uniforms for Next Gen? So here's the thing is the movies are a little bit different. Okay, they, tell me how. Um, they transition to the Deep Space Nine uniforms. You know, I just opened up a Screen Rant article that says Star Trek Generations, why only some uniform changed to DS9. Okay, <laughs> tell me more. Um, so, you know how in Next Generation they have color at the bottom and then, like, the tops are black? And then how in Deep Space Nine it flips, so the colors are at the top and then the rest are, like, black or gray. So that's what they wore in Generations was the, mm. the tops being the color part and then the black being the uniform below oh. um so not a huge change but they did change their uniforms for the other movies you yeah. know how in first contact it's like more gray and it's got like definitely more gray tones so those movie uniforms are different okay thank you that's what i want just a yeah. little subtle difference yeah so i think also this is another way to promote deep space nine you know i mean yeah. constantly we see in these movies that the movies are like pseudo promoting the next series coming out which like oh, my brain just always wishes there were deep space nine movies to promote voyager <laughs> but like here we are they do look nice i think that like 
I'm so used to Picard in the the red all the way down, you know, and so you seeing them all wearing quite a lot of primary colors like we see in the original series. Not quite as much, but like still very similar that it does look nice. But it says here in this Green Rant article that for Star Trek Generations, the producers decided to make some changes for the big screen. They got new insignias, brand new uniforms were ordered for the film, which were mostly identical to TNG's TV outfits, except for the raised collars, which are now colored and with pips, were more to the upper right chest, apparently. <laughs> um, mm, and okay. oh my god, that's hilarious. Star Trek Generations action figures are the only place the abandoned movie uniforms can be found. So apparently, I have a picture here of these abandoned Star Trek action figures of them wearing it from the color down. And so I guess they must have changed it pretty much last minute. Wow. Oh yeah, the colors are different colors. Oh. They're, they're the color of the uniform. Whoa. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. I'll, uh, this is beautiful. So anyway, thank you, Screen Rant. Always coming through for us. But I said there's no in-movie rationale as to why Picard, Data, Riker, and LaForge and some random background actors wore Deep Space Nine-style jumpsuits while everyone else remained in their TNG uniforms. <laughs> so didn't. it makes for viewing <laughs> Star Trek Generations rather odd, they say. <laughs> Which is true. I guess it didn't really occur to me that much because Picard is in such different scenes as the rest of the crew once he gets to the nexus that it didn't really occur to me until just now <laughs> okay so tiny details like this make me wonder excuse my french no i won't swear but i am wondering what the f is going on like yeah. why aren't these people on the same pages like the yeah the uniforms are different this is crazy they're not even uniform <laughs> oh, man, like, thank you i don't yeah. i don't understand like the, yeah these tiny inconsistencies mm -hmm. really make me think that there is some craziness going on that they can't even get all the uniforms ready for the whole cast in time they're yeah. like not changing lines appropriately they're oh my gosh yeah you can just tell that this movie seemed very rushed um and not it doesn't have that sort of elegant feel of a big screen movie as i want it to be you know and yeah. like the only time we get consistent uniforms is where they're when we get to see them 75 years later we get our whole tng crew here on a holodeck christening the enterprise oh it's so okay. or not christening but like you know, they're on the USS Naval Enterprise. It's freaking hilarious. Like, this is the only time that they all wear their sim uniforms. I think that they should have worn these uniforms the whole movie. Like, I think something like the holodeck, like, I don't know, their clothes all burn in a fire. <laughs> this is the only clothes that they have. And so Picard has to fight Soren, like, in his naval captain uniform. I mean, I will say that the action figures for naval Picard and the others are s astonishing. Oh my god okay so my family is coming over for christmas for secret santa uh -huh. my now number one choice is action figures in the naval uniform so whoever is my secret santa um i'm announcing it now <laughs> we're gonna have to have everyone listen to this podcast who's coming to yeah, okay. our family I'll be gathering. like okay guys go to minute 50 <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this part of the podcast only. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's really fun. But I do want to note too that I always something that cracks me up like more than it should is when there's an emergency after people are in the holodeck and they have to run <laughs> into the bridge in their like weird outfits and you just see the other 
ensigns working on the bridge and they're just like another day where the bridge crew was having a great time on the holodeck while we all were working i mean loradex was a great job of making fun of this mm-hmm. i love this in voyager too when that jane ray so runs funny. in in her giant gown it's amazing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just an incredible trope and so this is really how we get to see them and i honestly do really love this part of the movie where we transition from this horrific like kirk just died everything's sad i remember our mom we're watching the movie and this is amazingly the first time she's ever seen generations and so she was very excited fresh yeah exactly and so i remember her just shaking her head the whole time she's like nope kirk's not dead nope nope full denial full denial and we're just like Ooh. <laughs> better watch out because it gets worse from here you better watch out you better watch out you better watch out perfect time for christmas but yeah so i do really love this scene where they're on the holodeck and just like having a great time just doing their like larping essentially is just so fun to me because it's very tng it's very much in the spirit of the show i'm thinking of all of their holodeck shenanigans i'm thinking of dixon hill i'm thinking of you know all the sherlock holmes adventures and so it just it does bring me back to that era immediately which is good i think i feel like in this movie we need a place to center ourselves to feel like we're watching star trek and not like some random washed out like movie i don't know oh my gosh i completely disagree with you Rihanna. what <laughs> oh my gosh so i was feeling really moved after and like sad after the death of kirk and we see scotty is like in tears almost and Chekhov is like so devastated that his captain is dead and mm-hmm. then it's like who gives a f about kirk let's go party on the ocean it's it's <laughs> such a weird transition to me it it's like there's no one cares you know they're like oh who cares about that kirk guy let's go but i feel like it's 75 years later we have to position ourselves into the tng timeline and so they're showing that like a lot of time has passed and like people move on and these things happen well and they're trying to promote wharf you know yeah that uh so this is the whole point is why they're on the holodeck is for whatever reason and i want to know like i want to see the ready room meeting about this ahead of time (laughs) where they're like oh we have to promote wharf and then probably Riker was like let's go on the holodeck and get on the old naval ship because you know wharf did not request this you know yeah there's no way he would have wanted like a blood oath or like he's like can i get some pain sticks up in here like something so i i wish i could have i just feel like whoever's being promoted it should be their choice to have whatever kind of party (laughs) they want like your birthday you know but also i can see Riker being that kind of first officer or like that kind of boss who's like uh 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 i get to choose your promotion party (laughs) (laughs) well i feel like it was a Riker picard mixed decision because i can also imagine like Riker mentioning it and then picard sort of like stroking his chin like "Mm, yes will you know that is a very traditional ceremony and it would be very special (laughs) you know because they're both like such old timey like they both love like old literature and music and stuff and so they're probably like picard's like this is my perfect time to fulfill a fantasy of like christening on a ship (laughs) at sea again i just feel like if you want to showcase the best of the next generation it's not them (laughs) being goofy on the holodeck you know i mean i love the holodeck adventures just as much as the next person Mm -hmm. maybe more but i don't 
think it's like a, imagine that okay Rihanna imagine you're a TOS only super fan and you've mm-hmm. never seen Next Generation and this is the point of this movie is to get new fans into this like crossover thing like say you've been hesitant on Next Gen for the whole run and you're like mm-hmm. I don't know and then you watch this movie and you see them dressed up in weird captain hats like are you walking out of the theater absolutely not oh, Ashlyn <laughs> I love Trek shenanigans this is one of my favorite like especially when I was younger I think this appealed to me so much and it's why it stuck with me as a scene in this movie is because I love when they get to be goofy particularly next gen I know that like yes if I was watching it without seeing next gen I'd be a little mad and just like why are you shafting Kirk like this but I think that like also giving the grace to have some levity in this movie is really important because like you can't just keep mourning Kirk until we see him in the Nexus. I'm not even saying like they should be sad about Kirk. I, uh-huh. I'm just saying like show us a <laughs> badass scene. A that, battle or something. Yeah, I just something to prove to me that this cast because I mean again I love Next Gen. I mm-hmm. do love this scene. I just feel like it would have been better in a different order. Like yeah. if this scene had come after first encountering the Dura sisters or something, mm-hmm. and then I don't know, just in a They're, different like order. imagine the Dura sisters watching Jordy on the holodeck oh do the scene. <laughs> They're like, he never goes to engineering. <laughs> He's just on the ship with a weird outfit. <laughs> like, actually, you know, I could dig that. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, so I, I love the scene if I'm only watching it as a clip on YouTube. But that's when fair. it's in the order of the movie, I'm just like, what the heck? And maybe yeah. I, I think I'll get some slack for this, but whatever. I mean, it's fair. Like, I think that's a very valid opinion. And it's just a scene I adore. And honestly, like... But I understand your perspective, totally. I mean, what's important about it is that, obviously, it's fun. You know, it yeah. shows that the the cast can relax and have a great time. But also, it starts to set up Data's emotion chip oh, Lord. saga. <laughs> and this cracks me up because it's it's such a, like, minor thing that makes Data say, all right, I'm putting in the chip. Like, all, <laughs> basically, like, everyone's laughing because... Riker removed the plank that Worf was on to try to get his hat, which was like cool. Yeah, he got his hat so he could he can be promoted. And he fell in the water. Everyone's laughing at him. But yeah. then Data's like, "Why are they laughing?" He talks to Crusher, and she's like, "It's because it's like comedy, Data. You don't get it." And then he yeah. dead ass pushes her in the water, <laughs> and then no one laughs, and I'm laughing my ass. I'm laughing. Off. Yeah, <laughs> like that was great timing, Data. Like Data, you got it. You got yeah. humor. But he takes it so hard, I guess that Beverly is, like, yelling at him. Well, and I think mostly it's Jordy who, like, shakes Data because he's like, Data, that wasn't funny. And Data's (laughs) like, oh, if my BFF is not laughing with me, like, you know there's a problem. (laughs) But that's it. That's all it takes. And then he's rummaging through his quarters and like, oh, where's that pesky emotion chip that lore gave me at the end of season seven i'm gonna just pop that in and not think about the repercussions or the fact that we're on a mission that's dangerous and i might have to like control my emotions like none of that no none of that It, it really just i don't know it makes me not happy this whole emotion chip arc i think is important for data's growth you know and i think that like obviously it's something he's been striving for but we've seen him struggle with the emotion chip in the next generation in general he was given it 
at, I believe, the season six finale into season seven, like you said, with Lore when he was controlling the Borg and that whole two-parter mess. And he was given the emotion chip and he it was kind of used as like a drug against Data, you know? And so, and we've seen it just not be successful in the past or we've seen it be kind of damaging. I don't know. I think that it's just like Data has always had this struggle with like humanity and trying to become more human. And I think that like it's a good idea to have around, but you're right, the timing's all off. It's just weird. It doesn't feel like something that fits with the movie, with the tone at all. Tonally, it throws everything off. Like Data is laughing when he shouldn't be. He obviously is like having a lot of struggle controlling his emotions, like because obviously like the chip is not working well and all of this stuff. And so it's just sort of scary. It does not ever make me feel good except for the life form song. And it's just disappointing because I'm such a huge Data fan and I just love him with all of my heart. And so to see him in these like cringy scenes where I just feel uncomfortable and don't love him as much makes me really sad because like Data is always a highlight for me of the next generation. And so all of these movies are colored by the emotion chip arc and how it just feels awkward. Well, and as you might have guessed, Brent Spiner was really taking a page out of Leonard Nimoy's book for the Next Generation movies, except his ideas are a little more inorganic. So, mm-hmm. you know, Spock is the center of all the movies, not because he said, I want the plot to be about me, just because Spock is an awesome character. Mm-hmm. Brent Spiner said, I want the plot to be about me or I'm not coming back. Oh, Lord. And so yeah. how Nimoy was wanting to come back for money spiner is coming back for scripts for like a part in the script and so this is why his emotion chip plot the b plot is shoehorned into this and i wish because i feel like and we haven't talked about this yet but picard is going through something extremely difficult Mm -hmm. on the other side and so i wish that there had been a we're saying marriage a lot in this movie but like a marriage of these two arcs essentially where Picard is maybe consoling data and therefore ends up helping himself like by teaching data how to deal with his emotions Picard then too can overcome so I think that would have been really interesting because the best movies set up things in the beginning and then bring them back in the end and this is my number one complaint about all movies is that if you don't tie up your loose ends then it just seems like scrappy to me, you know? It just seems like not well thought out. And so to have Data do this whole emotion chip plot line without really any kind of important resolution, except that he learns emotions are hard to deal with, you know? Yeah, like, duh. I mean, you could have read that from a book. Yeah, and the scene that Picard has with Data Mm. at the end, he's basically telling him, like, you need to get it together. Like, I'm dealing with... He doesn't say it, but we know he's dealing with way worse than Data is, and he has to just, like, get it together and be a good officer. And I feel like it's too little too late at that point because it comes so late at the end of the movie. Yeah, and then real quick, the other thing I was just going to say, just to go one more time back to the holodeck, and then I'm sorry Mm -hmm. we can continue with data, is that, uh, I'm sorry, I just thought about this, Um, is that like I loved Voyage Home and it was goofy the entire time. But Uh when the movie's going back and forth between goofiness and very serious, deadly scenes, it Mm -hmm. just gives me whiplash. And 
I don't know how to deal with it. So, like, I love Goofy as much as the next person, but mm-hmm. anyway, we can. But not when it's tonally not consistent. I totally agree. And this is one of the things I think that makes this movie so difficult for me to want to rewatch because I don't want to go through emotional whiplash every other scene, you know? Like, I don't want to see Data laughing while they're trying to, like, fix these really important parts of the engines, or I don't. Like, obviously, I want to see these beautiful acting scenes with Patrick Stewart, but I don't want them juxtaposed with some, like, lighthearted shenanigans and then him saying his whole family burned in a fire or half his family. You know, like, that's awful. And that's, like, such a huge shift of tone that, like, I don't know. And and you bring up a really good point when you're talking about I really, like, wishing that Data and Picard had a moment to talk about emotions because I think this is the essential point that Data is missing in this movie and what is being missed throughout the sort of emotion chip arc that Data gets throughout these films, um, particularly this one, that I think, like, he, like you said, he learns that, like, emotions are a thing and they're difficult to deal with. Great. That's not really a lesson. I feel like the lesson he should have learned is how difficult it is for humans to compartmentalize and how it's, like, literally embedded in your DNA. There are times where, like, you truly do have to compartmentalize trauma and deal with it later. And Picard is the master at that. And for better or for worse, you know? And I think that's what makes him such an excellent captain, but what makes him a pretty emotionally stunted person. And so I think that it could have been a very interesting scene having them talk about, as a Starfleet officer, you're going to have to learn to set your emotions aside to deal with but I think he's like a child when it comes to emotions you know he's just getting them he's just learning them and so he obviously does not have those compartmentalization skills or those like trauma coping skills which oh duh because he doesn't emotionally understand trauma or uh like stress or any of these things that Starfleet officers deal with on the daily which makes me wonder like how did he do the Kobayashi Maru how did he do these sort of like essential sure he's not on like a command training program he's Even not though he was a captain in tng just saying yeah i mean he did have to captain where the mm-hmm. guy was like questioning his every move yeah. yeah absolutely he still has to be in these captains position he's third in command like that's not a very far removed place to be right I, he I, is third yeah he yeah. is third I, I mean he's lieutenant commander data and yeah. then he's commander data i think Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw a meme recently because everyone like jokes about how Harry Kim never got promoted. And yeah. So it was like a picture of Harry Kim. Like I was never promoted. Like this is terrible. And then it shows data below and it's like, yeah, imagine how I feel. And data was in the service for 34 years as a Lieutenant <laughs> commander. <laughs> like that is way worse than Harry Kim. Who didn't get promoted I think for it- seven years. Yeah, true. And I think you're right, Ashlyn, this does sort of, I think even that promotion did hinge a lot on the fact that he wasn't like Absolutely. experiencing emotions in the way that others do, which is just very like android phobic, Vulcan phobic, you know, like a lot of species do not consider like emotionality as a part of their being. And so I think that like, obviously Data spent all this time pursuing emotions, pursuing being human, but he doesn't really understand till this movie how horrible it is to be a person with emotions while dealing with very stressful things and having to compartmentalize and do all of these things that Picard and company just does every day. Well, I also think that part of being human and experiencing emotions is having an ego. And the Mm. reason that we have promotions anyway, and like 
you know, parties where you're on the Navy deck, the naval deck of the Enterprise <laughs> is to give people that space to have their ego boosted and to make them feel mm-hmm. good about themselves and to celebrate those people. And that's all yeah. to serve emotion. And I think because Data doesn't have any emotion, they don't care as much about celebrating him because he doesn't have that need to be fulfilled. And And he always says, like, I'm incapable of being offended. Yeah, and he has, like, a better service record than most people on the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Like, probably better than Picard. He's served longer than Picard. Like, Mm -hmm. if Data was a human, he would probably i mean he's older than picard like he's literally been in starfleet since the day he was activated you know yeah (laughs) well i mean he went to the academy first but But still like Mm -hmm. his whole life is about being in the academy and about being in starfleet and so the fact that he was not i think it's totally just because he's an android anyway absolutely i'm gonna gonna stop my rant but no i i just think it's important to like understand sort of the informed position that data is taking in this movie with the emotion chip and i really do get where they were trying to go with it but it just does not land i don't think spiner's acting is good enough which i know is sounds mean but like it's just or or if it is it's just not right for this film it's too good it's like (laughs) yeah it's it's like too cringy (laughs) 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 yeah i mean like yeah, it's just, oof. It is, so it makes me, like, it's, it makes Data harder to love, and I don't like that about this See, movie. the other thing, I think, is that they take the incorrect turn with Data, because now he's just trying to fight the same battle that we've seen Spock fight his mm-hmm. whole life. Yeah. And so I'm not interested in seeing that, especially mm-hmm. because he could just take out the chip you yeah. know, and stop experiencing these emotions. We know at some point the chip does wreck his neural net, and so he actually can't take them out when he's starting to experience malfunctions. Mm-hmm. But it makes me have less sympathy for him because he chose this. He could have just been having a nice, normal day, but instead he's like effing with the mission mm-hmm. because he can't control his emotions. And he lets Jordy be captured by Soren. So, I mean, a lot of plot has happened at this point. The Enterprise sees a distress signal coming from this science vessel so yeah and soren is on there he's running a science experiment because we later find out he is trying to change the path of the nexus so it comes and hits him on this planet and so this is like years of research for him trying to get back in the nexus the enterprise has no idea what's going on while they are doing this rescue operation and beaming everybody aboard data and jordy are searching a little too well the station and they find soren's lab and it's a trap. It's a trap. Uh, <laughs> Soren comes and he captures Jordy because Data was freaking out. Yeah. And that's how Jordy ends up on the Dura sisters' ship. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's because we find out that Soren is working with them in order to get into the path of the Nexus. Yeah. So... The Dura sisters, I think it's a, they're a really cool addition to this movie, especially because they are such a fun villain throughout mm-hmm. the next generation that it's, I think, a cool idea to bring them to the big screen. What do Absolutely. you think about their place in this movie, Rihanna? Oh, it's perfect. I mean, not only am I pumped to see them because we literally named our podcast after them, <laughs> but I'm also just excited because, like you said, they're really fun villains. They're also just 
chaotic enough that I could see them working with Soren, you know, and I could see them just being like, all right, if it's, if it's advantageous for us, let's do it. And I think it's good that they brought back someone who definitely is a threat, but not like we've seen Picard deal with the Dura sisters before in quite a few episodes. And we've seen, you know, everyone sort of manage them. <laughs> and so I think that it's not at all low stakes, but it's still not like we're encountering some crazy intense villains, you know, like it's like not the, the board queen yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think that it does provide for a fun and entertaining scene without it being like too intense. But yet again, it does then change the tone of the movie. And so I feel like all of these beginning next gen parts are really just sort of like funny and happy go lucky, but also mixed with horribly sad moments and like just confusing parts. And so, yeah, so it's a little bit like they do create a bit of a tone shift, but what doesn't in this movie? Yeah, I agree. And I'm also curious, what are the Dura sisters getting out of this relationship with Soren? Are they getting um, like a weapon uh, that he's creating for them? I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I know that they have a hatred of Picard because of all their dealings with him in TNG. Yeah, and that's so true. The reason that they use Jordy the way they do, and I, I think they were trying to capture him because yeah, they were. They have the technology all set up to be hooked up to his visor. Yeah, and they do like they operate on his visor. It's awful. Like yeah. re- record everything that he sees, which is so amazing. Yeah, it's so funny, <laughs> but also like definitely violating of Jory's like consent oh, and his like it's so messed up. Yeah, yeah, but well, it is. It's a well done scene for sure. Oh, so yeah, it's great. But the the thing that they want from him is the shield modulation. So. That means that once they they can configure their torpedoes or phasers to hit at exactly the like right frequency that will disable the shields and be able to go through the shields. Yeah, we're getting it for you now, Khan. This is exactly yes. I was thinking about Wrath of Khan while the mm-hmm. Dura sisters were doing this. They kind of they pulled a Kirk on the Enterprise here, and so I thought that was cool, and I actually thought it really did build some suspense. The problem with this scene, though, is that it was taking too long. Like, this movie was kind of, like, moving along, pretty good pace. Yeah. And then once Jordy's captured, it's just, like, slow. And we're literally seeing him, like, take a shower and (laughs) getting dressed and going to say hi to all of his friends. He's chief engineer (laughs) who never goes to engineering. (laughs) Exactly. And so... I feel like this is yet another thing that is throwing off the pace of this movie. And I think Mm -hmm. they had just like cut a couple of scenes in this or just a couple of moments from these scenes. It would have made it run a little bit more smoother. But I am cracking up at like Jordy at just how outraged the Dura sisters are (laughs) about like, why does he talk to everybody and run around? Yeah, totally. I do like that part, but I I feel like this is when it starts to slow down a little bit. Well, and I think that the Dura sisters' motivation is similar to some of the other Klingons, like the Klingon we saw in Final Frontier, where he just, like, wants to destroy Kirk. And I think the Dura sisters just, like, want to, like, have one up on Picard. Yeah, and that's why I was, like, trying to figure out their other motivation, like, besides destroy the Enterprise, is Soren creating a weapon for them? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. We know that Soren built this 
giant array on the planet and he's going to use it to wipe out another planet so so the nexus can like change course and come to him yeah but if the dura sisters even had survived that maybe they would get to keep that like planet killing like loki death star <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe interesting yeah i don't know honestly um but we finally get some insight into soren through Guinan, where finally we get a connection where Guinan's like, oh yeah, I was there on that ship. When Once again, she's here for the exposition. Yep, exactly. Picard comes to her and is like, hey, what's going on with this dude? And she remembers Soren, and she then is the one to introduce the Nexus and to talk about it. And she describes it as a doorway to a place to try and forget. And she also says that it is like being inside joy. Which is just such a beautiful description. I love the way she says that. And I think it does really start to... Then we can start to understand Soren's obsession with the Nexus. Because, like, yeah, being inside Joy does sound pretty amazing, you know? And I think for someone who was ripped away from it by Kirk's decision to, like... You know, they were trying to save everyone, but they didn't realize that it was this whole, like, Nexus thing. That's why Soren also has this sort of vendetta against Kirk, even though we think Kirk's dead. And he's been, you know, desperately trying to get back to the Nexus. And so that's like his whole motivation is I sort of think he's like addicted to it, you know? It's, or he's just like, he has obsessed over it for these past 75 years, you know? I mean, he's just like constantly thinking about the Nexus and he's built his whole life around going back to it. Yeah. Rhiannon and I were joking while we were watching this movie that this movie could be called Star Trek The Search for the Nexus. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And how pretty much all of these movies, the main plot is they're searching for something. <laughs> yeah. We were just last week searching for the boots, you know, and before yeah. that we were searching, searching for, for God. God. <laughs> <laughs> or whales or Spock. Yeah. Or Khan. Or V'ger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is a primary plot device and yeah i mean i think it is believable like i don't ever feel like soren's motivation is weak i do understand why he would want to go back to the nexus especially the way that gynan describes it she's almost like frightened of it because it is this place i think that tries to suck you in and tries to make you stay and how you never would want to leave once you're there it's interesting that we never hear again about the Nexus and never heard of it before because I feel like this could be a Q-related um, scenario. I mean, what's so interesting to me is like if it is created with intention mm-hmm. where you can just like live in it forever, it's like who wouldn't want that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what Star Trek always tries to explore with humans and their drive for doing stuff like being productive and living a life and actually eden is not as good as you think it is i mean this is like the whole plot of the original series for so many of those episodes yeah oh god yeah um well and like shore leave all of them Mm -hmm. um paradise syndrome oh geez yeah exactly (laughs) the side side of paradise. paradise yeah so 
I, I mean, this is a concept that's really overdone, but mm-hmm. I just think as a spatial anomaly, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. is this a being? I'm kind of thinking it's a being that's traveling around that we can't understand. That's just like picking up homies, you know? <laughs> well, it, um, it was kind of amazing because my girlfriend, uh, she's watching this movie with us and she saw a ton of the Voyager time travel episodes when we were watching those for our time travel series. And so she goes, that looks like a temporal anomaly. <laughs> and yeah. she's not quite wrong. I mean, that's what I also wonder too, is if, because, you know, time exists differently in the Nexus and obviously Kirk feels like he's only been there a day and or so or feels like he just got there and so like it I think in some way does distort time where it creates like a static sort of nothingness of time yeah yeah I mean it's cool Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you didn't know you were in it you would have a great time Um, yeah Soren I think has just given up on life Mm-hmm. completely you know yeah i mean this is sort of the question i want to ask you then ashlyn is like if you didn't know you were in the nexus and then you found out would you stay no because of my loved ones are really not with me and mm-hmm. for me that's what makes life worth living is my people around me yeah. it's not like oh i love this street so much i'm gonna drive on it every day you know (laughs) who i'm driving to go see you know oh i love that yeah so i think i would be sad i would be like oh god i've been like the worst person i've been like ghosting all my friends for years stuck in the nexus they all think i'm dead yeah (laughs) that would be terrible that would be terrible yeah and especially since i'm not a being that lasts hundreds of centuries it could be pretty tragic getting out of the nexus and realizing that whoops uh, I'm like a dinosaur. All my friends are dead. Yeah, I I think that is the the scariest part of the Nexus and something that deeply affects Picard, particularly, because it does give you this life, but, like, in the back of your head, you've got to know it's not real, particularly for Picard's scenario, which, like, do we want to just jump to real quick? Oh, please, let's talk okay. about Picard, yeah. Yeah, so... We talked deeply about these moments in the family series, but I do want to bring it up again because it's essential to this plot. We only knew about Picard's family members in one episode called Family in the Next Generation. Fantastic episode. Yep, we got to see Robert, which is Picard's brother, and then his wife, Marie, and their son, Rene. And... It was a beautiful episode, you know, Picard's healing from his trauma of being a Borg drone, and he's going back home to love our friends and seeing everyone. They have, like, a breakthrough family moment. He rolls in the mud with his brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's essentially the plot. And they and cry. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they cry and have a moment, and it's beautiful. And then we do not hear from his family at all, nothing. Not even in all good things, like... Like, we like only get love our friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so it's clear that Picard does not keep up with his family. But then we find out Picard's sitting in his ready room alone. Troy comes in and she's obviously like, something's wrong with Picard. Like I can sense something's going on. And we find out that Robert and his son Rene died in a fire. And so, God, this is just tragic. I feel like this is one of the best acting scenes I've seen from Patrick Stewart since, I mean, he's always amazing in uh, Next Generation, but particularly this is his best acting moment in the film. Absolutely. I think more than the film, like in 
I mean, definitely in the top five best Patrick Stewart Star Trek moments of all time. The yeah. scene where he's crying in front of Troy, describing what happened, is so moving and is so real. Yeah, that that's oh, it really hits you. It, it's fantastic. And so, one of the big crux of his feelings in this scene is, of course, he's feeling such deep grief about losing his family members but he's also feeling this horrid sense of obligation of like having to continue the Picard line because we know from just his past is that he's very proud of his family history and there's this huge long line of Picards I mean there's a Picard that fought at Trafalgar and there's a little portrait of him you know and he looks exactly like Patrick Stewart and I'm like sure I guess it's all Picards another look favorite same. Star Trek trope it's like show yeah. me my ancestor and it's like Kate Mulgrew like <laughs> in a wing yeah <laughs> Like, oh, that's my great 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 grandmother. <laughs> like and you're like, like sure. there's no way <laughs> <laughs> you're not Nana. <laughs> <laughs> At least that wasn't Gates McFadden in a wig. That would have been too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, we've got like Picard. The Picards have a coat of arms. They have such deep family history that Picard is realizing that he now is sort of questioning his obligation to have a family and to continue the Picard line because now Renee is gone and his brother is gone. And so it's just an enormous amount of pressure and guilt he's feeling on top of his grief. Yeah, and also he really loved Renee and mm-hmm. the time that they spent together was really special. And we learn with, I mean, he loved Robert too, but Renee he saw so much potential in because he was the opposite of his father and he mm-hmm. was much more forward-thinking like Marie and Picard. And I also just want to shout out to Marie because she is, like, not even mentioned in, know. in this movie. And I wish there would have been some sort of message to her that Picard would have sent of condolences. or We would have seen him writing a letter or even said her name when he was yeah, talking anything. to Troy. Because, I mean, she really, it seems like, kept that family together because Robert was a grumpy you-know-what so I just really feel for Picard and this is what he's struggling with the whole movie and then once that once he enters the Nexus this is what is appearing to him and the Nexus it's kind of like the mirror of Erised in which it shows you your greatest desire mm-hmm. but it's Picard but knows. also people waste away in front of it yeah <laughs> exactly Rihanna thank you so I guess mm-hmm. it is the, the mirror of Erised yeah from um, Harry Potter yeah. yeah the thing is what obviously Picard is armed with the knowledge that he is he knows he's in the nexus Mm -hmm. and he knows what it is and he knows it's just a trap or not real and then the other thing is that he is there on a mission because he's trying to get out of the nexus Mm -hmm. and once he meets Guinan there or the shadow of Guinan or whatever bs they say which is I just hate it. This writing is ridiculous. Like, like it doesn't make any sense. No. Um, but it's fine. I love seeing Whoopi Goldberg in more of the movie, so that's, yeah, it's all good. True. Just mm-hmm. explain it away for some reason. So when she says that Kirk is there in the Nexus, then he's like, "Well, I could sit around and enjoy my it's a wonderful life moment with all my yeah. kids at Christmas time, or I could go save the universe." The thing is that we mentioned or that I think I kind of forgot about the Nexus that I remember from the scene is that you can leave it at any time, Mm -hmm. at any time you want. 
so this is an issue with time travel it's like if you have the chance to go back in time why would picard go back to when he's on the planet about to stop soren you know like why wouldn't he go further back i don't know my only thought is that it's got to be this sort of imprecise brand of time travel like i don't know if he can just be like beep 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 setting coordinates and let's go like does he have to like think about it and then it sends him like does he have to go to a certain point in the nexus like if time doesn't really exist then how would you even fathom getting to a certain time i wish you know i wish we knew i would love more explanations even if it's techno babble explanations i would still like them (laughs) you know i need some more like fake time travel jargon i need some sort of like anything about the nexus because it does feel just sort of this like random part of space that is a ribbon of energy but it also like destroys ships that go by like and planets i don't i don't know i just don't really get it yeah i don't get it either but it is nice to see that picard is happy for a second when he's looking at all of his kids um seven kids by the way like he is busy and he's living in a beautiful house and his wife is like doing all the work and yeah it's crazy i feel like the nexus is not doing a good job of putting up a convincing life that picard would want to live and stay in the nexus because even if he did do this the only reason he wants to have kids anyway is to please his dead father and to like make the Picard line continued to move on. Mm-hmm. And so I think even if he didn't know if he was in the Nexus, if he had a if he was like Soren and just happened to go in there and had a great time, this would not be the vision for him. Because he would get bored. The, I think the vision for him is being on the Enterprise and like saving the world every single day and having no conflicts and everything's going amazingly, you know? <laughs> I um, mean, yeah. I mean, you think of even the first, or like the very end of Encounter at Farpoint, the pilot of Next Gen, where Riker is saying, oh, I hope all of our missions don't go like this. And Picard t- turns to him and says, no, they'll be far more interesting. Okay, yeah, this is what he wants. He's living his he, dream life. <laughs> literally, but like in Encounter at Farpoint, you appeared, he was on <laughs> trial, Yar got frozen, an alien jellyfish came out of a planet. Like, a lot of cool, crazy things happened, and still Picard is not satisfied with it. He wants the next greatest thing and the next greatest adventure. And that's where him and Kirk are very similar, and why it's really hard for me to fathom that Kirk is lost all this time in the Nexus, chopping wood, enjoying a house, without even anyone there with him. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Kirk is constantly surrounding himself with people and saying that, like, you know, his strength is being a captain and his full joy. So I just, I'm surprised that this is how the Nexus manifested itself for Kirk. Yeah. Um, Also, I'm enjoying this doggy friend. Um. Yeah. Sorry. He is a very eager dog who loves to talk to us always from upstairs. He's just trying to be on the pod. He knows we're recording, so he's trying to join. Yeah. Since the cats are in the bedroom, they can't be a part of it. So we got to have some menagerie here. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I will give Kirk some credit and say that in his perspective, he just got to the Nexus. And so he hasn't really had time to explore at all. And I do think if he had had like more than a day there he would like probably have a party and like be hanging out with a bunch of people and banging all of them okay so this begins another parallel that i do love to see between our two captains because even again if picard had not been there 
and Kirk had just lived his life in the Nexus, I think he also would have been unsatisfied. He might have for longer enjoyed the life of just betting women and hanging out, running around, do whatever he wants, literally riding around on his horse. Yeah. Um, I think he would have started to get sick of it and know that this is not real. And especially because of all of his missions on the Enterprise, I feel yeah. like Kirk is like primed to know that this is not real and this is some kind of strange anomaly going on. I agree and disagree. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think this is what I wanted Kirk to have sort of manifest is the fact that like he hasn't been chilling by himself you know like or he ha- he would get bored of this existence but he's been there for 75 years and didn't even realize but you know I, and but I- he he just started chopping wood like that's all he's been doing <laughs> i think literally like the second he appears it, he feels like he just got here that same day that's true i don't think yeah. anything has happened like, he just appeared on right. that rock and, like, started chopping wood. And the Picard That's walked That's true. Up. And I guess this is very timey-wimey. This is very, like, oh, there's, you know. It's like no time has passed. And that's what Guinan yeah. says is to Picard. From his perspective, he just arrived here. Yeah, that's true. I do keep forgetting that, like, truly this does feel like day one for him. Yeah, because it would make more sense. You're right. If there was a ton of people around or he's on a dangerous mission. I mean, he literally spends, Kirk literally spends R&R climbing one of the most dangerous mountains, free soloing it. You know, like what? That's absolutely insane. That's what he does for relaxation. And so I think you're absolutely right. He would definitely get bored of this if he knew time were passing or if he had a concept of time. But that's what the Nexus robs you of. And I think that's what makes it so dangerous and scary, at least to me to think about a place that is like full of joy and you don't even like realize that life is passing you by outside of it that's like terrifying to me yeah same i don't i don't want to be in it unless no, me neither. like earth exploded and i just went to the nexus i'd be like all right cool i guess this is <laughs> what not, i got i'm not missing out on it yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, yeah so this is definitely you know a very iconic scene that we get after Picard has his like little Christmas moment with his family who's not real and Renee's there and more grown up and you know we've got this sort of lovely family scene that he's realizing this is not real or whatever and he goes back to his mission meets up with Kirk finally this is pretty epic Kirk and Picard meeting it's something that I think like is very does make me fangirl a lot even though i don't really like this movie and i feel like these scenes with kirk and picard are like written a little weird i still feel this epicness of just the power of having these two really important captains together and i think the fact that like picard can tell him i'm captaining enterprise now that is so special you know and that like they do immediately form this bond that i this is why I always sort of laugh when people have the debate of like Kirk versus Picard. I'm like, they don't ever really argue or fight, you know, in these scenes where we see them, they work together and they really do like create this rapport almost solely because they're both enterprise captains. Like that's what makes it so epic, you know, is the fact that they're passing on this tradition and they understand each other in a way. I think that like others wouldn't. Absolutely. I think as characters, they have a lot to offer each other. What 
my problem is during the scene is that I feel like the chemistry between them is not working. Oh no, not at all. As actors. And yeah. <laughs> I feel like it is a tough situation because William Shatner has this ego and he is the captain, the definitive captain of the Enterprise. And that's what he's famous for. And he's not famous for his acting. Mm-hmm. But Picard and Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, is famous yes. for his outstanding acting ability. Patrick Stewart, I don't think, has much of an ego or, or you know, he seems like a very down-to-earth type of person. And so mm-hmm. I can tell in these scenes he is stepping back and letting Shatner have the floor. Mm-hmm. And my issue with these lines is that it seems like Kirk is completely ignoring Picard for like the first half of this scene and they're barely interacting and Kirk's not even really listening to him and so it feels more like we're watching Shatner's retirement rather than Kirk's Mm. and I know Kirk becomes more and more Shatner the more the movies go on and I felt like he was really close to Kirk in the beginning of this movie when he has like a good speech and then he sacrifices himself but now that we're back in a retirement Kirk where Shatner is like doing whatever he wants, like I'm going to ride my horses, which I love horses. So we're going to ride them in this movie. And I love looking strong. So I'm going to chop some firewood, you know? Yeah. Um, they said one last ride, literally <laughs> one last horseback ride. <laughs> like, yeah. Crazy. So yeah. I just wish that Patrick Stewart didn't have to pull himself back in this moment. And I wish that Shatner had engaged more. So I guess I'm wanting yes. more from both of them. Absolutely. And I, I wish they had become more of a team. And I think it does get better once they leave the Nexus and once Kirk realizes what's going on, because then he yeah. starts to wake up. I think Kirk starts to validate Picard for who he is too. And I think that's what us nerds want is Kirk interacting with Picard and knowing that he's this epic captain also. In the context of having Shatner play him, it really doesn't happen. So I think that's what I'm left with missing in these scenes. But I do love when they're on the planet together and it feels like, could this be an action movie? Oh, there's some action going on right now. Yeah. Um, We see that... Kirk is kind of taking control of the team and Picard's happy to let him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying, okay, you do this, I do that. Kirk goes to get the device. Picard goes for Soren and tries to shut down the like array, the technology. Well, yeah, and you are right, Ashlyn, they do actually go back right to the time before. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, why not go to like before Dory was captured, you know? <laughs> I guess then they wouldn't have been in the right place. I still think you have to be physically in the location, maybe, that they were before, like, to replace themselves. Because, I mean, Picard does have himself have a prisoner exchange, you know? And he, that's why they do the whole Jordy thing. And, like, he is traded then for... Yeah, uh, that's true. Forge and all of that. That's and true. so I think... Maybe that's the reason you have to be sort of in the same place that you were before the time that you're going back to. I don't know. But it does work. What Picard couldn't succeed with on his own of capturing Soren, he can now do together with Kirk because they do some like cool chops and they're like back to back fighting. And I do really love that. Like it is sort of, yeah, like you're saying, is this action all of a sudden? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's actually a fun scene when they're working together and trying to get the remote Mm -hmm. and... They're finally 
listening to each other and trying to accomplish something. And Picard is emphasizing throughout this whole thing, we have to save the galaxy. Billions of lives are at risk. And Kirk is just cracking up. He's like, oh my God, story of my life, bro. Yeah, he's like, that's the Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love that he agrees to go back with him. And Mm -hmm. I just think that his death is so sad and just sad in a like lame way you know oh yeah um he got completely shafted yeah also because in star trek 5 in the final frontier kirk set up in the beginning of the movie when they're camping he says to bones and spock i know i'll always die alone like that's why i wasn't afraid to die today and so the fact that he's dying alone sure without his original series cast but he's not really alone like picard is there but I guess like he's dying alone without his friends. I honestly thought that that was kind of nice because the thought of Kirk dying alone on a desolate planet, getting crushed by a bridge is very depressing. (laughs) And so the fact that his prediction of dying alone didn't come true and he died right beside the captain of the Enterprise now is actually really special to me. And I think that it it, it makes me, yeah, it, it makes me feel better the fact that Kirk wasn't alone. I think it wasn't something like a prediction he was making for himself. It was his biggest fear was dying alone. Well, and, actually, and I think that yeah. like he just was sort of like, it'll happen that way and I have to get ready for it. On the Enterprise B, that is how he died. Ooh. Was alone, saving the ship. And this time it's saving billions of people and he's with a friend. Oh, yeah. what And it's sort of like with a successor of the Enterprise and another very important captain and important figure, but also just... Someone who understands that sometimes, like, you have to risk your life. And who understands that more than the captain of Enterprise? (laughs) Yeah. Like, truly. (laughs) And especially with all of our discussions for this movie review podcast about the Kobayashi Maru and all of the Mm -hmm. talking that the movies have done about it and how to pass, you have to be able to show that you can still function as a captain when you know that there is no way out, when you know that death is the only option. And so this is something that Kirk has done over and over and over in his life. And so I feel like when death finally comes, he's like, all right, I can go out this way. I saved billions of people again. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that that is his ideal way to go. Because for him, even in that circumstance, that is a win scenario. You know, he says all this time, he doesn't believe in no win scenarios. And I think that even though he is the one to sacrifice himself, he still counts that as a win because he's saving people. And that's what Kirk does in the at the end of the day. Um, Do you remember his last words? Because I also thought they were kind of weird. I think he said it was fun fun <laughs> which i think his uh, last word should be where is spock, spock. <laughs> yeah. oh or like i love you know spock. what i think he should have said hmm. i think he should have turned the picard and said universe out of danger <laughs> oh my god Rhea. <laughs> i hope that one day Picard and Spock get to see each other again after this movie and they get to mind meld because poor every time Picard sees Uh. Spock he's like telling him about the death of a close family member and so I hope that happens again and then uh, (laughs) Spock can feel like he was there wait what (gasps) well I just realized I mean this is technically canon um because they would have had to meet up but you know how Picard was part of the Romulan relief program 
Well, who else was helping oh! the Romulans with their star? And the red matter was, of course, Ambassador Spock. And so in Una McCormack's book, The Last Best Hope, they do have a scene where they meet and talk. And so I do hope that maybe off screen or off page, they had a little quick mind meld sesh where he could be like, I'm sorry, your friend's dead. But like, here's his last words. I was with him. Even though he died um, like 10 years ago, it's still sad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, anyway, so they do technically get to meet again after this. Wow, okay, um, well, that makes me feel better. Picard, yeah. The thing about this whole scene with Kirk and him dying and sacrificing his life and stuff is that it's very abrupt, but the reason why he died is cool. You know, that like, oh man, he was saving everyone. That's very on brand for Kirk. But just the way it happens is so disappointing. Like, I would rather have him jump in front of a phaser fire to save Picard. I don't know. Like, I just feel like his first death was way more essential and way more, like, Kirk-esque than just, like, ah, a bridge. Well, and it's interesting that Picard spends most of it apart from the rest of his crew. Mm-hmm. And, like, Data and Jordy are apart from the crew the whole time. And so I feel like even the Next Generation cast is kind of split up into different parties so we didn't really talk about it but the enterprise crashed onto this other planet yeah Um, we we definitely have to talk about this yeah and this is because the dura sisters did get the shield modulators through geordi and they were able to cripple the enterprise and even so much so they had to separate the saucer yeah they separated the saucer which is epic you know that's a throwback to the pilot of the uh, to encounter at farpoint which i'm sure they're doing as a parallel first movie first episode i mean they even talk about farpoint in this movie yeah they do i love it yeah i thought that was interesting it's cool to see Riker shine and even so the ship has to go down and Deanna takes the helm for a hot minute, and yes. I love that. I was like, hey, mm-hmm. girl, you got your pips for a reason. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. Like, Troy gets to do something more than say, I sense nothing. Yeah. Like, exactly. she actually gets to have this really cool command moment, and I really appreciated that because it's important, even if it's just for a moment, like, to see more women on the bridge is just amazing, as always. Absolutely. The planet that they've crashed on is the one that Soren is planning on destroying so it will alter the route of the Nexus. So mm-hmm. that's rough. And the, before Picard goes in, we do see that the planet is destroyed and everyone's dead. So it kind of it's a, a fake out like, oh, we killed the whole cast in one movie. Um, but of <laughs> yeah. course, it's fine. But the ship is not okay. And this is why we are going to get a new Enterprise in the next movie. (laughs) We're continuing the tradition of just destroying ships over and over. Yeah. Yeah, that's a common thing. Yeah, so Soren dies, I guess? Yeah, I guess. He gets blown up by his own device? Yeah, because I think Picard set the self-destruct on the device while Shatner was on the bridge. (laughs) Haha. Um, uh, on the the literal before the bridge. bridge was on him yeah oh god sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> i was laughing because i was thinking like captain on the bridge and- on the captain <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah exactly though but picard is rerouting the energy or whatever so it's set to explode mm-hmm. and so then when Soren is on there trying to make it work, he realizes like, oh darn, and then he gets blown up. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I also, we didn't mention, but the Dura sisters are dead. Like, this is their death movie. <laughs> yeah, what? They just, like, get exploded by Enterprise, or by... Yeah, by the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah and Beta, that's when he does his fist pump. Yeah. When he's like, yeah! Which is funny, but also it's it like, funny. he murdered those people. You are <laughs> celebrating the murder yeah, of the a species that you're not at war with. Of a proud and noble house. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it's only weak, weak sauce, young weak, nephew Duras. Weak Duras nephew, yeah. Weak sauce Duras, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Um, well, yeah, it, like, we do have that legendary line where definitely pardon my french here when the saucer section of the enterprise is going down and doing the crash landing on the planet data goes oh shit (laughs) and so i think it is fun like he is getting to sort of play with like oh i get to be more human which means i get to curse more and we're at a film so we can rate it differently and like actually have cursing in it (laughs) like all this sort of funny stuff which you know people are so back and forth about cursing in trek but i always love it i think it's fun i'm pro cursing yeah <laughs> yeah pro color for metaphors for sure Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so i thought the scene at the very end where Riker and picard are finally reunited they're picking through the rubble the whole cast is picking through mm-hmm. the rubble and miraculously everyone survives except all the bad guys quote light casualties yeah, yeah. light casualties Riker's <laughs> so proud of that he's like light casualties sir <laughs> He's like, but still, let's write letters to the people who are dead. Yeah. Like, what? Let's not celebrate that too much, but um, just light casualties. Well, and of course, real quick before we do have this reunion, Picard does do a beautiful burial for Kirk. Aw, yeah. And he says, "quote It's the least I can do for the captain of the Enterprise." <laughs> Which I do really deeply love that. I think that it's an important moment that Picard gets to send Kirk off in this way. I also think it is, I mean, this is like an imaginary callback that I made up, but (laughs) it seems like it's calling back to the beginning of the movie where Kirk is being overrun by Media Circus and he just kind of wants to be left alone. And now his final resting place is a very remote location where, I mean, people are not gonna like visit his grave site. And I don't think he would want that, you know? Like Mm -hmm. despite who Shatner is as a person, Kirk is very honorable and humble. Yeah, he doesn't do it for the applause and glory. No. He does it for He Spock. does it for the thrills. <laughs> yeah, and for Spock. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like even though it is remote and desolate, I feel like he's finally getting the peace that he deserves because since retiring, he has not had peace. I mean, no. in Undiscovered Country, he wasn't at peace. Anytime retiring comes up, he's just Wrecked. over it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was a really nice burial. And I think that like important for Picard too you know at least he got to i just also feel bad because you think about like he probably didn't even go home for the funeral of his family because he's like busy captaining the starship and dealing with this crisis and so he is at least having a moment of quiet respite where he gets to send someone off at least even if it's not his family love that rihanna i love that it's yeah he's also honoring them as well i love that I think this also marks as a transition point to mm-hmm. now let the audience know now from this point on it's going to be only next generation movies we hope you enjoyed <laughs> yeah I hope, hope you like this weird transition one <laughs> <laughs> but it's all TNG from here mm-hmm. until JJ Abrams <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly the um, next couple yeah so and then of course we get 
the best reunion of all, where Data's talking about how he's experienced 261 emotional states, and he's done them all. He's felt every emotion there's to feel, apparently. And then he finds Spot! Spot's alive! Thank God Spot wasn't a part of the light casualties, because I wouldn't be able to deal with that, like, nope. emotionally. Mm-hmm. Losing Kirk and Spot would put me over the edge. <laughs> Um, no, but I think that the spot reunion is so good because Data's just, like, weeping and he's like, I'm so happy, why am I crying? And Troy's like, haha, told you you hadn't figured out all your emotions yet. Yeah, that part was Um, nice. Yeah, adds for a little bit of an extra nostalgia moment and to show that Data is still dealing with emotions. Woo! I guess that's just an arc we're just gonna keep seeing. We're just not giving it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, so it's just like they really pile on the nostalgia pieces at the end, and then the credits roll. I thought the it was just nice to have Picard and Riker at the end. It was like mm. a nice moment. I don't specifically remember why, but in my notes I have Riker and Picard with a heart, and I said, great Aww. end speech. So yeah. it was a great end speech. Well, can I read it, actually? Um, Picard do. talking about time. Yes. Um, Oh, yeah, because I was going to say in the beginning, Soren had that quote about time, that time is the fire in which we burn, Hmm. which I kind of love that quote. Oh, it's gorgeous. They talk about time a lot. Um, Soren does say that time is going to hunt us down, and Picard does this sort of rebuttal about, like, morality and the truth of existence and, you know, all of his casual stuff. Okay, so here we go. Here's the quote that Picard says to Riker. He says, Someone once told me that time was a predator that stalked us all our lives. But I rather believe than time is a companion who goes with us on the journey and reminds us to cherish every moment because they'll never come again. (laughs) What we leave behind is not as important as how we lived. That's great. It's a a good, like, reminder about Kirk, you know, about his legacy he left behind that is more important than how he died. (laughs) This horrible, just completely unfair death that they gave this legend of a character. But I think it's also saying, like, what Picard left behind in the Nexus. Also, like, weirdly, they're all sort of leaving behind the, like, episode era days, you know, and it's important to remember that mission that they led, you know. And the Enterprise they're leaving behind on this planet. And that's the, like, that's our Enterprise from the series. So it, it does bring me a lot of sadness, but it also is, I really love that Picard has this sort of clarity moment about time. And of course, it doesn't just, like, make his grief about his family go away, because grief is another predator that stalks us all our lives. But it's something that I think makes it easier for him to digest and to start to come to terms with as well. Absolutely. And I really think that death is another predator that stalks us on our lives should be on our next t-shirt, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> or time, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Okay. Um, wow. But this was this was a really interesting discussion, Rihanna. And I hope we didn't complain too much for all of you. But... I did enjoy this movie for some parts. I really, really enjoyed. I just think it mm-hmm. has a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. And more lows than high. Yeah, the lows are hard to reconcile. So we haven't done our order of movies yeah, in a while. Yeah, I was thinking and we I should think, do our order right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's essential because, like, I don't know. I, I do know that we are being hard on this movie, but I also know that it's one that is just... I think difficult to combine very different types of Trek, you know? And so 
this is another thing that they're working with. They're trying to do this epic crossover. And I think, honestly, there's probably a lot of pressure for it to be really good. Yeah. It's kind of like when writers are writing finales for stuff. And sometimes they just completely do it terribly. There's <laughs> so <of> much. <laughs> um, there's how I met your mother. <clears throat> but anyway, there's there's pressure for it to be something beautiful and perfect and amazing and encapsulating the whole show and blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff that writers have to deal with when writing finales and when writing epic films like this is I think we have the Rick Berman problem of him just being an interesting writer that I don't generally agree with a lot of his writing decisions and then we also just have the problem of the series being so vastly different the tones are very different and so I thought it was weird that Next Gen was trying to do a lot of goofy stuff when they're generally more of a serious show that's what I'm saying and so which is yeah like I would have definitely expected more of the goofy stuff to come from the original series end of it but obviously it couldn't because we only have Shatner it's just hard to do anything with Shatner in this sort of era when you're right, Ashlyn, he's barely Kirk anymore. So yeah, I think that I would definitely, I am really glad that we get to talk about this movie and that it is a part of canon because there are some really important moments and particularly learning more Picard's family history and the Duras' family history and all of that. Like it was great for our family series, but as a movie itself, I just have a hard time with it. Yeah, I think that a big weakness of this movie is that so much of the next gen cast is background characters. Yes. Um, we have one scene with Dr. Crusher, maybe. Oh my. Um, we yeah, barely... she just gets pushed in the water. Yeah. And then she's Crusher always to gets shafted though. Like yeah, she, she hardly gets the time she deserves on the show or in these movies. <laughs> yeah. Even Riker, I feel like didn't do too much except when the saucer separation was happening yeah yeah so i was lacking some of that unity that next gen is known for they're always good about spreading the love between characters so i was definitely missing that for this movie but i also understand that they're trying to balance kirk against this whole crew so i mean for what they have i feel like it is rewatchable every 10 years or so yeah yeah (laughs) maybe on the anniversary of something yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and say my order of movies and okay. in yeah. seventh place i have the motion picture in sixth place i have generations in fifth place i have the undiscovered country fourth is the final frontier third is search for spock second place is the voyage home and first place is the wrath of khan okay I have to write mine down. I don't know how you could do that in your head. That's crazy. Ashlyn, I really like that order. Ashlyn, we're going to have pretty similar answers here. Okay. But in seventh place for me is Generations. Mm, Okay. Sixth place is the motion picture. Fifth place is the final frontier. Fourth place is the undiscovered country. Third place is the search for Spock. Second place is The Voyage Home. And of course, first place will still be The Wrath of Khan. (laughs) I'm excited once we've seen like 14 movies and we're like in 12th place. <laughs> yeah, we're like, are you about like what's in sixth or something? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like once we get more next gen movies under our belt and then the Abrams verse ones, I think our opinions are going to start really going different. But we'll I see. I think so too. Yeah, I we'll think see. So too. Um, yeah, this is very exciting, Ashlyn. And I am really very, very thrilled to get into the next generation movies officially now. We are going to be watching First Contact next week, which is so exciting. I am just 
really thrilled for this and I just hope that you all are really enjoying our movie series. This is a long one, folks, so thank you so much for keeping up with us. And please, you know, if you feel like watching the movie before or after you listen to our pod, I think it's always fun to have a refresher and an excuse to watch Star Trek movies. Like, who doesn't want that? So that's what we'll be doing this week is watching First Contact. Absolutely. And we did not have a drinking game for this movie because I think I can't remember what we were doing. We just didn't for this one. We just didn't. Yeah. (laughs) I think we have to for First Contact because that is historically when Troy is drunk. So I feel like we yeah. have to join her for we this We have to be drunk movie. by the time we get to her scene. Yeah, I think that's going to be take a shot when Troy is drunk. <laughs> yeah, and take a shot when he says on some kind of Star Trek. Oh, God, drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we will be posting that on social media. Please keep an eye out. Um, if you have... Any questions, anything, You feel free to contact us. We love hearing your thoughts. We love just hearing from our listeners. And you all are amazing. And thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of our movie series. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the eighth episode of our movie series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek First Contact. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series. Pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by Rihanna Hurd and me, Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Wow. Hello and welcome. Oh, my voice cracked. <laughs> Hello. <laughs>